Good morning, friends. Happy New Year. I was not here last week, so I get the privilege of saying that. Um, If you are new to our church, we are so thankful that you could be here to worship the Lord with us on this Lord's Day. Um, And I'll be bold enough to, to say, if you do not have a church home, we would love for this to be your church home because we want to worship together. We want to be in unison with God's people and be encouraged together. And uh, Pastor Jeff and I will tell you, we are one of you. We have families, we have struggles, and we do life together by being inspired by the Lord and, and strengthened by the Lord. So I, I begin with that. I want to thank uh, our own um, Colton Brewer for preaching last week. Thank you, brother, for leading us into this uh, new series. Just, it's a short series. Uh, we're going to keep you in suspense what our uh, series is going to be after this, but we thought it would be so important to start with prayer. Um, you know, uh, as believers, our goal is to become knowledgeable and intimate with God. And so, we talk about things like spiritual disciplines, things that we put into our lives that are regular patterns so that we can grow. You don't go to a gym and just go to the heaviest weights the first time. You might do that. It's a mistake. You'll get injured. The best thing to do is to build your muscles by starting with the small weights and do it again and again and repeat and often until you build up your muscles so that you can go on to the stronger weights. Uh, over our break, we uh, spent some time with friends who had never been to Texas um, from the Northeast, and one of their daughters is a freshman at Wheaton, and uh, we tried to keep up with her in walking and running, and we could not. Because she was on to mile eight while we were still huffing and puffing, and so um, I realized I've got to start slow again and build up to mile three and four and five and onwards. And so I encourage you to build some spiritual disciplines into your life. We do not become intimate with God just by osmosis and on our own. Our Our hearts are bent away from God. And so we need those disciplines. And there are many. And the two pillars of all the other disciplines which flow out of two... And those two are the spiritual um, disciplines of the intake of God's Word and prayer. And you've heard that before, but I'm going to say it again. It's the regular intake of God's Word and prayer. And it's hard. Uh, I want to jump into our text, but I have to because it's the first week I'm preaching for a couple of weeks on this topic I need to give you some preliminary thoughts pastorally and otherwise. But spiritual prayer, real prayer, biblical prayer is hard. You know why? Because it's one of the weapons that is most threatening to the kingdom of the evil one. And so he's going to try to stop you. That's why you can scroll on social media for hours and not get tired, but you'll be in the second line of your prayer at home and you'll get sleepy. That is why we can watch movies upon movies and shows after shows and talk to friends about our problems for hours and not get tired, but the moment you start reading your Bible, you get distracted and you get sleepy and tired and all that. It's because there is a spiritual warfare going on. And the devil knows 
that he doesn't really care about the puny weapons that you come up with, but he does care about the strong weapons. And the strong weapons are the spiritual disciplines like prayer and intake of God's Word. Well, this past week, some of you who are sports lovers kind of heard about something major that happened and uh, you may have heard the name DeMar Hamlin. I'm a big football fan and one of the football teams in New York, I know you guys don't like to hear about New York teams, but one of the football teams in New York is called the Buffalo Bills and they have a safety named DeMar Hamlin who right on primetime TV had cardiac arrest. So they had to stop the game and cancel the game, not just postpone it. But you know what's interesting that's happened this week? There's been a lot of talk about prayer. In fact, so much talk that some shows, like NFL Live, a guy actually stopped in the middle of the broadcast to pray. Right in the middle of the broadcast. And this is DeMar's own words. By the way, he's doing better. They resuscitated him twice, once on the field and once at the hospital. Did CPR on him. It was very, very traumatic, actually, because we thought he could die. Um, this is what he said. The love has been overwhelming, but I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. I'm on a long road. And his final words, his first words, public statement words were, keep praying for me. Maybe the Lord wants the whole world, not just our church, to have an emphasis on prayer at the beginning of the year and this whole year. That's an emphasis for us, by the way, this year. We're trying to build kingdom prayer into our church's life in a more intentional way by doing something midweek. Pray for that, that Satan would not get in the way of that, that people will want to come and pray together. Um, when I was growing up, my dad had a, a bookshelf, and one of the books that he had were uh, it was a book on prayer by a man named E.M. Bounds. He had several volumes, but E.M. Bounds was one of the few that I could easily pick out and start reading even as a young man. And it, I cannot tell you how much that book impacted my life or the things about prayer impacted my life. I would recommend his purpose of prayer and other um, things on prayer to you. But having said that, I'm going to pray in a moment, but let me give you some of Pastor Jeff's and my uh, pastoral desires for us, that we would not be a people that just talk about prayer, that we would be a people that pray, that our church would be known as a church that prays, that believes in prayer. You know, not just like, yeah, all Christians pray, we know it's important, and we'll do a prayer here and there, but we want to be a church, listen, that prays regularly, together, privately, corporately, that we would be known as a praying people, and it would be a vital part of who we are and what we do in our community groups, in our families during family worship. You pray at home with your spouse, your kids regularly, not just when things are going bad. As a church, regularly, not just Sunday mornings. Um, this is what we desire. So let me pray for us as we begin. Father, I know that this is hard work and yet so deceptively easy. But it is hard work because it is spiritual and spiritual warfare is against us. And Lord, You desire for us to be a praying people. In fact, we cannot be Christians without being a praying people. And to pray the right way, the way that You want us to pray. Not selfishly. And 
not just for our own gain, but for the kingdom to grow. Lord, I ask that you will bless these weeks on prayer. Thank you for what our brother Colton taught us and shared from God's word last week, from the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And yet we realize you are so much better. You're a loving father who desires to hear us. My prayer from my own heart and my little ones and everyone in this room is that you would give us eyes to see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. My disclaimer is anything on prayer is borrowed. (laughs) None of this is new. This is not my insight. I have um, stepped on the shoulders of many wonderful commentaries and notes uh, Ligonier Ministries, Pastor Lig Duncan's notes, um, who I love to hear or listen to, many, many others. Lots of pastoral friends who have shared comments and notes with me. Um, I, so a lot of my outline and my notes are, are um, as you probably know, none of this is really just coming from our own brilliance. It's all God's Spirit and God's people who, on whose shoulders we stand. Let me give you four thoughts and points for this morning. And by the way, I am planning to continue God willing next week. And so we will continue. Count it a two-three-parter on prayer. We're going to focus on prayer all this month. But let me give you four points for today. Don't pray like that. That's pray. point number one. Don't pray like that. Point two, but pray like this. Three, We are praying to the living God and the sovereign King. And fourthly, how does prayer work in God's economy? If he already knows everything, we'll come to those. So in Matthew chapter 6, we some uh, months ago spent some time on the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been in our church, you've probably... Uh, remember that series and there's a section on prayer and uh, it's where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray what we know as the Lord's prayer right the our father prayer Um, but there's some very significant things that I'd like to touch on again from that section from Matthew 6 that's why we read 5 through 8 but let me begin by saying that Jesus in that section was addressing three examples of right kind of the right way to do certain spiritual acts of worship. And he mentions three things. The three things were giving, praying, and fasting. The right way to give. You know, don't let one hand know what the other hand is doing. How do you do that? Well, it kind of means uh, there's a spiritual uh, benefit to the way God wants us to give the right way. We call that not orthodoxy, but orthopraxy. Not just right belief, but right practice. So then we come to um, prayer. So as I mentioned, giving, praying, fasting, Jesus covers. And then he comes to the section on prayer. And prayer is an act of worship. Just like giving is an act of worship. It's like fasting is an act of worship. And so Jesus is desiring his people to be genuine, now listen to this, and not fakes, not hypocrites. You remember that, right, from the Sermon on the Mount? So much was about not having the right attitude. So much was about not doing it so other people can see you, but having the right motives. Your attitude matters when you pray because it is a spiritual act of worship. It's not just for other people, it's between you and God. 
So listen to this, Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness, you know, holier than thou, doing the right thing. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father, capital F, who is in heaven. So Jesus teaches us the right way to pray. So the first thing, uh, we already read the scripture, I'll come back to that, verses 5 through 8, but the first thing I wanted to say is don't pray like that. And uh, what, what do I mean by that? Well, verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. We'll come back to that point in a moment. What does that mean, they have received their reward? Well, the focus for the moment is on hypocrites. Listen to how they're described. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's not the right way to pray. That's not orthopraxy. You know, basically, Jesus demands us, his followers, to be people of prayer. But there's a wrong way to do it. This is what would happen. The trumpet would blast and... At certain times of the day, the Pharisees, wherever they were, would immediately stop, turn towards the temple, and offer long rote prayers designed to impress others. And they're not really praying to God, but who are they praying to? The people around them on the street corners. That's really who they're praying to uh, for the applause of men, to, to, for others to see and hear and give them glory, not for God's glory. I've asked this question before here, but I'm going to ask it again to you. Do you know what being a believer of Jesus means? It means that we are not glory hogs. We're meant to always reflect and deflect praise and honor to Him. Yeah, I, I, I want to be known. I want people to hear me. I want people to see me. That's the human heart, right? But Jesus very clearly in Matthew 6 says, don't pray like that. Because they were standing and doing things at the time, the trumpet blast, hey everybody, look at me. And they say these long, impressive prayers. And then Jesus really hits on this idea of hypocrites. Do you know what that word means? You have, I'm sure, if you were part of our teaching time in the Sermon on the Mount, you, you understood already that it really kind of gives us a picture of actors on a stage right? And what happens? There are those who wear masks and they play a part. And the mask here that the hypocrites or the Pharisees are wearing is that of a true worshiper of God. And they voice prayers, but the part that they're playing is that of a true worshiper, but who they really are under their mask is a fake. Just like actors. Don't you see you know, people who say, I'm not a doctor, but I play a doctor on TV, right? They're, they're not real doctors. You would not go to them for medical advice, even if you see, watch the, the medical shows. They're um, playing a part and they're under a mask. But the Pharisees, these hypocrites, they love the praise of others. And their reward is the roar of applause as people praise them. So it's not for God's glory, it's for their glory. And Jesus is teaching against praying 
like that out in public. By the way, Jesus does not say anything wrong about, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. In fact, we have corporate prayers here. And it's good to pray together as groups and small groups and large groups and in public. But there's something he's saying here. It's saying don't do it just to be seen. There's an evil that's behind fake prayers made to God for the sole purpose of being praised by others. You know, the Pharisees, the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about really had no desire to pray. I don't even know if they were real prayers. To be honest with you, these are men who really wanted to be acclaimed and praised and applauded and watched and seen and, you know, oh, wow, so holy. Oh, we can never be like that. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could go to the temple all the time and pray three times a day and all these things. They didn't care. They didn't pray because uh, for others, you know, I wonder if they really cared about widows and orphans and the poor. Probably not. If they're fakes, if they're really not truly saved. Let me, now let me touch on that for a moment. Um, they didn't care and didn't pray partially because the right way, partially because they were lost. They're actually people who are lost, who are wearing a mask to act like a true worshiper of God so that people would applaud them. It's evil. They looked apart and prayed the long prayers, which I said were probably not prayers at all, for fame and applause. They were actually lost. Matthew 23, let me read you some other scriptures. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Wow. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Isn't that pretty powerful? Do you know what uh, hypocrites and praying the wrong way and all that fake stuff, what it really means? That they are not sons of the kingdom. They are sons of hell. Man, that's, that's, it should cause us to tremble in our sincerity, in our genuineness. Why do we do what we do? We must always guard our motives. And then let me read 12.1 and then I'll come back to a thought on that. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, all right? In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is leaven? Leaven is what you mix into what you're cooking with, like bread, like dough, um, that causes the entire uh, lump of the dough to, to rise. And so even just a, a little bit or a pinch of the leaven can affect the whole uh, batch of the dough. So similarly, a little hypocrisy can affect the whole group, the whole church. And Jesus tells us to beware of the leaven of hypocrisy, which the Pharisees practiced. And so we're supposed to guard our motives. So why are we 
doing what we do. Do you remember when we were in the book of James, I shared with you a phrase that really stood out to me and impacted me. We do what we do because we love what we love. And if I love me, I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to stand out there where you all can see me and hear me as public as possible. And it's not really a prayer at all. In fact, I may be totally lost because I love me. I am God. I am on the throne. I am in charge. Everything's about me. That is not a Christian. That is a fake. Notice the self-promoting words in this little passage. Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Listen to this wonderful story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here standing here praying. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, being made right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what self-promotion does? It takes God, well, not really takes God off the throne. He's always on the throne. But you're trying to put yourself on the throne and says, look at me. Look what I do. Look at, look at my importance. Let me move on to point two. So don't pray like that. Pray like this. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I don't want you to misunderstand this and perhaps we'll build on this next week too to get even clearer. But Jesus says, pray this way as opposed to the way the hypocrites pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's that whole secret thing about? We only allow to pray in secret? No, I I don't think that's what he's saying. He's really saying that there needs to be a sincere, intimate connection between you and the Lord and not just so others can hear you or see you. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So real prayer to God is personal, sincere, and genuine. When I was a student at Westminster Seminary in Philly, they had an old building called Matron Hall. Matron Hall just, you know, needs a lot of repair at that time, probably done some renovations since then. They have a basement, like many places in the Northeast, and down in the basement, it would would really look like a dungeon. (laughs) Dark, a little clammy. Uh, some of the, some of the uh, IT guys used to work in there in some, some rooms. Some of you remember a man named Al Groves, um, wonderful scholar for Hebrew. Um, but <clears throat> somewhere in that section was a little room 
that had no purpose other than for a student to just go and be alone <laughs> and shut the door there in the basement from the outside pressures in the outside world and just to pray. It was a secret place to meet with God in private and in some ways in secret. Do you have a place like that where you can get away to meet with God, to have sincere and genuine communion and interaction and prayer? You know, it can be a room outside, a room in your house or somewhere else outside in the fields. Uh, it can be in the attic, in the basement, or some private place. And I would really encourage you to find a place where you can really be free from dis- distractions. My son EJ who uh, tr- uh, goes to school 10 hours from here, when I've asked him, do you want me to book you a plane ticket? He says, no, Dad, I really, really like the 10-hour drive. When I'm totally alone, I really have come to like it because no one can get to me for those 10 hours. Do you have a place like that? Maybe you need to take a long drive. Maybe you need to find a secret place so that you can really just be alone and tell God everything and hear Him through His Word. This was the way Jesus prayed, didn't He? Mark chapter 1, verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. That is the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who went away, to find a private place away from his disciples and away from the crowds very early in the morning while it was still dark to pray. I want you to hear um, another example. Do you remember the name Elisha, prophet in the Old Testament? Elisha came into the house, 2 Kings chapter 4, and he sees a child lying dead on his bed. In fact, he was being asked to come. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Why did he do that? There's something about no one else seeing and you pouring out your heart to God and an intimacy and a communion that is not for other people to see or hear. It's really you wrestling with the living God and saying, God, I don't understand this. This is tough. I'm confused. I don't know what you're doing. This is too hard for me. And pouring your heart out to God and pleading with God. So the Lord is highlighting here the right way to pray. In some ways in secret and to be seen by God. Just a quick moment on that idea about the rewards. In one way, it's kind of saying, you know, if you do it just so others can see, you already have your reward. There it is. You got the applause of men. But when you do it, even when others are not looking at you and you're doing it sincerely, you will be rewarded by the one who sees you. And that is God. He's always seeing you. Friends who feel abandoned or distraught right now, do you realize that the living God does not slumber or sleep? His eyes are always upon you. If he can see a sparrow fall to the ground, he sees you. And the one who sees you rewards you. But the warning is, if we do it just for other people to see us, you've already gotten your reward. It's the applause and the praise of men. Do you realize that six times in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was talking about giving and praying and fasting, he says this, give in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Pray in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Fast in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm going to leave that with you. Isaiah 65, 24 was my reflection verse. Here it is again. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. So my third point is this. Do you realize that you're praying to the living God and the sovereign King of the universe? Here at our church, I know several of you who are, who are fans of Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul, R.C. used to have this line, there are no rogue molecules. There are no maverick molecules in the universe. Every single molecule is under the control of our Heavenly Father, including the cells in your body, including all the atoms and molecules in the whole world around you that sustains the universe. There are no maverick molecules in the universe, and He already knows what you're thinking and what you need. And Isaiah says, before they call, I will answer, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. So my third point is we are praying to the living God and the sovereign King who hears and sees us and answers us according to His will for us. Verse 7, and when you pray, Matthew 6, verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. By the way, the Gentiles that he's speaking of in that uh, verse is those who worship other gods, false gods. They're not real gods because there's only one living and true God. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Can I give you two examples? 1 Kings 18. This is not Elisha, but Elijah. 1 Kings 18. And they took the bull that was given them, speaking of the prophets of Baal false worshipers to another god and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying oh Baal answer us but there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made they were praying to false gods but we are praying to the living God the one who hears us sees us made us Controls every molecule in Adam. Acts 19, this is the Apostle Paul. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, do you remember this from the time when he was visiting Ephesus? But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Over and over again for two hours repeating this. So why the empty phrases and many words? I want to give you a thought, a note. Maybe you write this down. Maybe you highlight it, come back to it. But I want you to hear this. The way that we pray reflects the type of God that you are praying to. Okay, let me say that again. The way that you pray reflects the kind of God that you are praying to. Do you know why empty phrases and long repetitions and two hours and morning till noon and all this happens? Because nothing happens. And they got to say it again and again, almost as if they're wishing for something to happen, but it's not happening. Isn't that so different than us? <laughs> We are not praying and repeating the same thing over and over and over again as, as if we're like, please hear it this 500th time. 
If your father is alive and well and he is a sovereign king, he heard you the first time. In fact, we were just saying this yesterday in our Saturday morning men's group. You know, you might forget what you prayed for 10 years ago, but the Lord never does. He might answer something today that you prayed for 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. He never forgets one statement of prayer made in faith. And in His perfect timing, according to His will, He is answering them and will answer them. And you can be confident. That is why, my brothers and sisters, I love to tell you and remind you, you don't need to be repetitious. You can pray often and much, but you don't need to heap up empty phrases and make, make long prayers because we have the living God who loves us as a father and he has heard every single one and desires to answer us. But the Pharisees prayed long, empty, repetitious prayers. Okay, I got to go on quickly here. So my fourth point is this. So do you understand the purpose of prayer? So if God is the sovereign king and he knows everything, then why pray? That's a good question, isn't it? He already knows everything. So why pray? Isn't he just going to do what he's going to do? The scripture clearly teach that God is sovereign in all things. Listen to this. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1. God does His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Psalm 103, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He is totally sovereign over every little thing and He knows everything already and He already has plans for you and He's already ordained things to happen. So why pray? Because on the other hand, the Bible also clearly affirms what we are to do and that is our responsibility and in the realm of prayer this is what we read in the scriptures James 5:16 the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working you do not have because you do not ask Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks, find, who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Paul taught on the sovereignty of God. I, I, uh, I don't remember the reference now, but remember he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? Everything that is here is because he's made it and put it in place and sustains it. And yet, Paul, in every one of his letters, requests prayers and then says and talks about his own intercession for others. Prayer is one of God's ordained means for accomplishing his purposes. Prayer is one of God's ordained means of accomplishing His purposes that He already has for you, that He's already ordained, that's already in motion, that's already in plan. But our prayers are used to bring us into alignment with God's heart and will and He releases His blessings and plans for you as we pray. 
He's not going to depend on you and your prayer to do what He's going to do, but He uses our prayers to accomplish His will and purpose in your life. I remember this. I don't even know who wrote this or where I read it, but a child's storyteller once said, it's like having a whole ceiling full of balloons. And as you pray, one by one, they start falling upon your head. They're already there. God's already got them all there for you, for you, ordained for you, planned for you. They're going to come to you. And as we pray, they are released upon us one by one to accomplish His purpose and His will for you. Good plans. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. So God wants us to be motivated to pray the very things He desires to do so that we will come closer to alignment with His heart and will and for His kingdom and His plans to succeed. I have to stop here for sake of time, uh, and I will continue next week, but I'm going to give you a few questions to think about, and then I'm going to end with a short story of just an illustration from my past, and then we'll pray, okay? Question, how does your praying and your your prayer life reflect what you believe about who God is? Confident prayers? Doubting prayers? Repetitive? Like you don't really believe anyone's hearing you, but you're just going to keep saying it, hoping that one time something will come out? Do you pray like the pagans, the Gentiles who pile up many words and empty phrases or don't even believe an answer will come? Or do you not pray at all, much at all, thinking that if God is sovereign, He's just going to do whatever He's going to do? Maybe you don't care. Maybe you don't care at all about prayer. I don't know where you are right now. But we are taught through the Scriptures to pray earnestly to the God who is sovereign, pray confidently knowing that He loves us and we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus who prayed Himself, knowing that our Heavenly Father loves us and has a plan for us and His plans will not be thwarted. He's going to do what He's going to do with you and bless you. When I was a seminary student, the church across the street was an OP church, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I'm a PCA pastor, but we have close connections with OP churches, and the pastor uh, of that little church, because I didn't have a car at that time and could just walk across the street, it was, uh, his name was Steve Miller, like the musician, the Steve Miller band, you may have heard that. Um, Pastor Miller's wife, godly woman, I just grew to really like them, they used to invite me as a single guy over to dinner, and one dinner, one night, she told this story, she said, uh, Jake, my grandmother was, uh, and grandfather were peanut farmers. They're such simple people, but they had such deep faith in God and trusted God for the little that they had, and they prayed all the time, sincerely and genuinely believing that God heard them and was God, that God was going to do what they needed. And uh, she, she told the story of her grandmother, who relayed the story to her, who said, um, one day, her wedding band fell off out in the fields. And um, she looked and looked for hours, could not find it. 
And so she was just distraught, but she had to keep going before it got dark. And so she knelt down in the dirt and said this prayer, something that went like this because I still just vaguely remember it. She said, Lord, you know I don't have much. This is very important to me. I love this ring. I've worn it for so many years. And I want you to return it to me. She got up and just continued to work. No ring, nobody found it. And then harvest time comes. And what did you know it of all the harvesters? She was out in the field and sees this very odd shaped peanut shell. So she just thought, I'm just going to stop for a moment and look at it. Two peanuts, and right in the center, a bubble. And there was a ring. I, could, I, I couldn't believe that story. Like, did that really happen? And she said, Jake, she wept telling me that story. So you know what she did? She knelt in the dirt and said, Lord, thank you got up and went back to work. Sincere, genuine, confident. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Father, I pray that this section um, would convict us again that we are not praying rightly. Um, And maybe it's because we're selfish and we desire for other people to see us. Maybe we're not really yours. Maybe we are all about us, I pray that you would cause us to repent, that we would trust you, and that we would pray sincere prayers knowing that you love us as our Heavenly Father. Lord, draw us to yourself. Cause us to grow in our prayers as a church, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.